Welcome to Hit Different, your music culture podcast, working from home edition with me, Mikey Carl, my co-host. So say for Molly. And Max Shand is in the house from Serenade, all kinds of things this young man has been up to. Young man. Uh, let's get into it. On today's show, we're going to be talking about The Voice. It's relaunched 10th season, one3 2 million viewers on opening night, uh, mm. nearly 2 million viewers actually. All kinds of interesting stuff about that, whether it's actually people tuning in. It sounds like they're out. Second story we'll be discussing is Young Frank Ocean. Everybody's young today with his new luxury brand called Homer and all the success that's coming for him. Speaking of success, Serenade has done huge things for the uh, the music economy and personalized concerts really. And Max Shan, the founder, will be joining us to chat about that and also NFTs. Mm, everybody's talking about him. <laughs> Another music sting. All right, friends, we've arrived here. We've got Max, we've got Sos, little people on my iPad. Hello, little people on my iPad. Uh, thanks, everybody, for tuning in as well out there. We give you strength and, you know, hopefully some some quality escapism and edutainment today as we all go through the rolling clusterfuck that is 2021. <laughs> Shout out to 2020. You thought you, you thought you aced clusterfuckery. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. So The Voice, it premiered, as you may have uh, seen, uh, after the Olympics finished. There's just a few ads for it going on during the Olympics. Um, regional viewers all up. Yeah, nearly two, 2 million people tuned in. Um, new judges, Keith Urban, Rita Ora, Guy Sebastian, Jessica Malboy. I've got the inside where there's a bit less drama this year, which is which is good because I think people are a little sick of the you know, the overly dramatic voice narrative. What they did very cleverly yeah. on, on the opening episode, before we throw to you, Sos, um, is they did a half an hour, no ads. So they had everybody in for half an hour, zero commercials, people engrossed, people, you know, kind of on board for the journey. That was a, a way to kick it off very cleverly, I thought. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 like that commercial radio thing of, you know, we promise you X amount of songs with no ads if you, you know what I mean, like mm. tuning in. Um, yeah, look, The Voice is, it's one of those staple Australian entertainment shows. I mean, we've, historically, we've seen a lot of artists and performers go through the ranks of, you know, shows like The Voice, shows like X Factor. Of course, we had Australian Idol to kick it all off back in the day. As successful as we're seeing these shows continue to be in terms of viewers, from an industry point of view, and I guess from a career standpoint, there's always been a bit of a divide, right? Like we've seen a lot of artists who've, they haven't necessarily won their season, but they've been, they've had significant storylines, if you will, um, have gone on to have rather successful careers in Australian music, but their time on reality TV isn't necessarily a factor in that. You know, we've seen artists who've gone essentially off grid for a time to reinvent themselves. They now perform under their own names or under completely different projects. And I know, Mikey, you've probably had this um, as a fellow music journal interviewing some of these artists who will get like the little note beforehand to say, you know, let's, you know, tugging on collars. Can you please not mention or ask about their time on that show? Yes. Seeing that The Voice is now, you know, 10, you know, a decade of seasons in, why do you think that, you know, what's the attraction there? Why do you think people are still so drawn uh, to, to these sorts of shows? 
I'll throw to Max first. Do you watch these shows at all, Max? Do you have any interest in them? You know, I do remember sitting on the couch with my family watching the first season of Australian Idol. Definitely uh, was there for for those days. And I believe I I watched um, the early days of The Voice, but haven't in a very long time. I think I personally always loved the discovery element of a new musician kind of revealing themselves so much of like the wonderful nature of, of music, our original songs. Uh, and it found, I found that uh, listening to The Voice um, kind of time and time again, there was a lot of um, points, one, for just overindulging on really crazy loud vocals. Um, and, and I lost it a bit, but I, I still think those shows give emerging artists a platform and that's a wonderful thing to be celebrated. It does feel like this time around there's a fresh energy around it. Uh, I think they've chosen very cleverly with the judges. I had a, a chat to my friend Cameron Adams before I went to air, a very uh, respected music journalist, and he pointed out that Keith Urban, he sells out three Rod Labors. Like, he is gigantic, especially in regional Australia. There's such a big fan mm, base absolutely. for him. Absolutely. Which we kind of don't completely, you know, if you're not into country music, you know him as Mr. Nicole Kidman in a way. So he's going to be sucking in a lot of uh, viewers, which is good. And he's, you know, he's okay talent. He's kind of beige as all hell, but, you know, he seems like a nice dude. Yeah. <laughs> There's no Iggy Azalea who's always kind of came off as someone who didn't really put in to, to the show. I'm not sure whether that was an X Factor or The Voice or Idol. To me, they're all, all the same, these shows, in that, I will have a bit of derision for them when I'm seeing the ad. And then to see it through my two daughters' eyes the other night as they're watching it, I was kind of like, I was engrossed. I was like, okay, mm. this this person can sing. Mm. It doesn't seem too much like a cheesy formula yet. I'm not sure whether I'd watch too much of it, but, you know, it's very, you have to be pretty stone-faced and pretty, uh, <laughs> you get an asshole really, to watch someone sing their heart out and go, that's not very good. Um, if they can totally. hold a note, you know what I mean? So. It's it's obviously the the commercial aspect of it and the you know just being sold to during the ads and all all that kind of stuff. You know, if there was an indie voice, I would definitely watch it. <laughs> but the view the ratings wouldn't be that wouldn't be that high. Obviously, if we look at some of the artists that have come through in the indie world: Nairi, Lisa Mitchell, who hasn't done much recently, but certainly had a you know a decent career. Matt Corby, Vera Blue is the big one. Um, she's you know there's all these people that don't mm. quite win in in the way that. When you don't win in Australia, too, you're still the underdog, and people will kind of support you. I think it happened with Poe uh, with MasterChef as well. Was it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> she, she she did super well. She had a much better career than the person actually won. Thando as well is is in there. Um, I, interestingly, I spoke to Benjamin Trollado, who was on Isolade's TikTok as one of the homegrown artists last Wednesday, and he's just a, a young Melbourne dude from where I've been. He tried to be, I tried to get onto either The Voice or X Factor, one of them, and. Very early, he kind of got knocked off. He kind of made it through a few stages, and the, the producers were saying, "Hey, hey, man, we really need a story. What's your narrative? What's your, what's your dramatic story?" And he didn't really have one. And I can see where the Jerry Bruckheimer kind of world—you need that overarching narrative. You need something to push it along. But at the same time, if it's more about the story than it is about the voice and about the talent, then I think they're getting the priorities mm-hmm. wrong. I'd say that, that that's a thing, but it was cool to watch it through, as I said, my daughter's eyes and, and just have that real, as you get older, the less jaded you can be, the better, you know, if you can totally. always be looking at things with fresh eyes, I think that's, you know, super important. Well, yeah, that, that I feel like that's, that's part of the reason why I wanted to bring it up because it's like, you know, I, I, I too remember watching Australian Idol in particular from, you know, probably from the first season through until when I was about six. 16, 17, which was like the Jessica Malboy, Matt Corby 
season as well. So obviously my perspective back then was very different to what it is now. And it's like, would I have the same perspective if I wasn't working in and around these artists at at different points of their career, you know, or kind of knowing a little bit about the machinations of the label deals and the signings that go on afterwards or those sorts of murky areas that will obviously sort of change your perspective because it's like similarly to you, like watching it through your with your daughters, you know, it's like I'll sometimes get a phone call from my mum and she'll be like, oh, have you heard of, like, this person? And I'll be like, no. And she's like, oh, she's a really good singer. She was just on The Voice. And I'm like, oh, there is something in my head that is, like, super judgmental that I'm trying to be better at, which is always like, okay, well, I'm probably not going to, you know what I mean? But then I'll go on YouTube and look it up and I'm like, damn, that girl can sing. Do we think that that stigma around these shows will potentially change because as you were saying there seems to be a bit of a fresh energy around this season Mikey I think it kind of will especially with you know the fall of Dennis Hanlon and other stuff going on at Universal with George Ashes yeah and you know so to look at everybody with with fresh eyes and with, with that feeling of like okay what have we got here you know what have we got to work with here especially because mm. we're going through a goddamn pandemic where you know the, the never-ending lockdowns means we need stuff like this we need a balm we need some escapism yeah. we, we need we needed some nice stories to, to step into our lives and uh take us away from doom scrolling for a few hours as well so totally max is there anyone who's approached you uh regarding serenade uh, you know the uh sort of the personalized concerts that your company offers we've definitely worked with um contestants from um, from those shows but I wanted to bring back to something you said before which um, really interested me where you said that uh, your friend or, or the contact from Isolade wasn't given um, a platform as kind of the episodes went forward because he didn't have a good enough story and you said that as kind of something somewhat problematic but I think that's quite in- that that's something that I believe should be celebrated on those shows where although it is called The Voice what you love about an artist is the story around them um, because there are lots of people who can do wonderful things with their mouths. Um, but the great thing about um, an artist um, is that kind of unique patchwork between what they care about, where they've come from, what they write about, what they sing about. And I feel like that's why, that's one of the reasons why your daughters are obsessed um, as 10, 11, 12 year olds. Sorry, I have no context here on their age, but yeah. why, why it's so wonderful at that age but then when you're 20 30 40 and so this doesn't work for your mother's example (laughs) you want a a greater depth of engagement with with the art rather than just pub cover singers and that is so not what i'm saying um kind of this kind of format is for but i think that's one of the kind of issues associated with singing covers um and being kind of heavily produced is that the personality and wonderful nature of um your character doesn't shine through as much Mm. Good point. Very good point. The the whole story aspect of these shows, it is an interesting one. I mean, I know I, I've had a, a young artist who recently came to me with um, a proposal for me to do some artist PR for them on their next kind of run of music releases. And again, it was a similar thing. You know, we've we've tried essentially to to scrub the internet uh, from like the digital footprint of them being on one of these shows because they didn't have well essentially the indication was was that their storyline was edited in a way that made them look you know hard to work with um didn't take criticism well um was very sort of brattish and and just not really understanding and so the management team was just like you know we're 
we really try and aim away from that. Um, essentially, they got dicked over by production, yada, yada, yada. Conversely, knowing a family friend whose daughter went through, I think it was The Voice years and years ago, had a really nice experience. Like She admitted that you know the producers were there to sort of push them down certain narrative plot points. You know, there were those, what do you call it, like the mentoring sessions where they're linked up with either the judge, you know, the judge who chose them to be on their team. She did say that oftentimes they don't get to spend much time with them actually as opposed to what you actually see on TV. But at the same time, during those sessions, I think she was partnered with Kelly Rowland. I might be getting my shows mixed up at this point. But regardless, she said that the time that she did get to spend with them was, like, crucial and invaluable. Mm. And she's come out of that actually with her head more firmly screwed on her shoulders because she's realised that being on a TV show did not ensure a music career. And those were the sorts of lessons she was learning from the judges. It's like, okay, use this as a platform to then sort of leverage what you actually want to do. So I feel like... Yeah, the story element of these shows can have like, like there's obviously a spectrum of mm. of how impactful they are, and I, I do find mm. that fascinating because it's like, mm. well, we we look at musicians or music that is being pushed outside of those shows, and you read any press release, and you know they're still pushing a story regardless of whether it's Absolutely. on TV or not. There's still a narrative behind each album release, you know, or. Yeah. If it's a breakup album or if it's an album where, you know, they've discovered this new chapter of their lives, I feel like it's you can't have a new a new act emerge without a story behind him, you know? Absolutely. And I've remembered my point too. And we'll get to Max because I want to find out the times that in Max in your life where you've had a very what doesn't kill me makes me stronger moment because I'm, I'm intuitively mm-hmm. you, would have, you would have gone through that kind of stuff. Uh, I'm trying to get a, a story up off the ground for Rufus to Soul who are – Fucking massive. And I write for NME. I'm writing about Amel and Sniffers this week. Anyway, I've pitched three times with the help of PR a Rufus de Soul story. They are selling so so many tickets. And and because there's no story there yet in in my editor's eyes, I hope she's not listening. Hi, Karen, if you are. But Uh it it occurs to me, right? I've not read one Rufus de Soul interview. Like, there's not. You think of the music and they're huge and that's great and everything, but there's not a, a narrative or there's there's not a super juicy, super interesting story to them yet that I, that I know of. I want to be the writer that, that brings it out. So I need to have that opportunity. Mm. But my editor's thinking, well, there's not enough sto- of a story there. Quite often we'll, we'll, get, that's we'll get brought, you know, this person's gone through mental health issues, you know, this, this has happened, that's happened, and then you've got something to work with. But I feel like it's the chicken and the egg thing. If you give me an hour with Rufus, I'm sure I can come up with a great story. This is becoming a pitch to enemy now, so <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. I'm, I'm not going to let it go. These things, you just... Uh, friends, that was fun. Let's go through to the next story. We're talking about Frank Ocean. It's not the size of the wave. It's the motion of the ocean. One of my favorite quotes. Frank oh Ocean God. is making <laughs> bank, y'all, so she can... Interpret that however you want to interpret it, mate. Frank Ocean from Odd Future. He's he's sort of he's just shown himself. I mean, Tyler the Creator's also gone way up. See the kids gone way up. Uh, you know, 10, 12 years ago. Do we think this would happen? Probably not, but 
They've done amazing things with their career, not just in hip hop, but uh, now in in merch and in commerce. And Frank Ocean Friends mm. has a luxury brand called Homer, a twenty five piece collection. This is from an ABC article. Twenty five piece collection featuring a range of jewelry, a belt buckle, a scarf, lab grown diamonds designed by Ocean and his team. Now he won't spe- specify Max and so who's on his team, but he did explain that the whole process began with twenty craftsmen, craftspeople, friends, and a summit at his house. The cheapest item is $395. The most expensive is nearly $2 million. Uh, in an interview with Financial Times, Frank explained that he chose Homer mostly because it's five letters and the dot-com was available. <laughs> what an odyssey. This is pretty remarkable because Frank Ocean has this allure around him mm-hmm. and I think to do with his sexuality as well and to do with just with the way he makes art and he doesn't come out with hip-hop bangers. He comes out with these really meaningful uh, sort of Solange-esque um, movements and Solange-esque uh, records that have such a, a deep storyline themselves. What's your take on a Frank Ocean's move here? So I'm not surprised because I, like, I feel like we're seeing so many artists sort of invest in – high-end luxury, you know, labels, whether it's fashion, whether it's jewellery, whether it's, you know, high-end alcohol, we're seeing their portfolios continuing to diversify. What is interesting is it coming from Frank Ocean because up until this point, he, like you were saying, he has sort of constructed this sense of mystery um, around him. He's been quite elusive for so many, for quite a long time now. I think he got confirmed to be headlining Coachella in 2023. Mm-hmm. Who knows if that's going to happen? He's kind of like hip hop and pop music's unicorn at this moment, you know, throwing Very a D'Angelo good. every couple of years, popping <laughs> up when he wants to, and then like going away again. But in doing that, you know that people are going to eat this up. Like mm. it's a capsule collection, even though it costs a lot of money, there are people out there who will be flogging this shit to then be like reselling it and taking it on. I mean, I, I'm perhaps quite biased because I love Frank Ocean. I'm not saying that I'm going to be going out there and dropping like almost 400 bucks on something, but I like how he moves. In some ways, I feel like, like no doubt he's very invested emotionally, physically and financially in this label. But there's a part of me that's just like when, especially when rappers or hip-hop artists produce labels like this, when some of the pieces are so extremely expensive there's got to be part of you that's like sitting back being like yeah i'm rich i'm rich i'm gonna make this and just see how it goes because i can i've got the Mm -hmm. fan base it's the kanye Mm -hmm. effect you know Mm -hmm. he's the edgy kanye in a lot of ways you know he's the kanye (laughs) we can like without an asterisk what are your thoughts on frank and this move max um i'm going to come clean and say that my understanding or knowledge around frank ocean is very limited um, because I've always been into um, either very uncool rock um, or, um, <laughs> or really 80s synth pop and early experimental electronic art. So, That's brilliant. Um, so I don't really know um, much that. about this specific move, but I can talk a lot to um, artists diversifying into um, a whole range of different commercial goods um, yeah. um, and also what different people within Odd Future are doing. Um, I think it's really interesting how um, we all lauded um, kind of Dr. Dre, um, how many years ago with, um, with Beats. Um, only recently has there been a platform for artists who are these kind of creatures with incredible reach to actually commercialize that reach, um, in a way, um, that actually can allow them to, um, build these wonderful communities and consumers, 
there's um, a management company in the States called Three Quarter that actually um, does Odd Future, um, did kind of Kanye's Yeezys. So they kind of built uh, Pharrell's media company. Their whole approach is saying that artists are entrepreneurs who are denied the essential infrastructure to building sustainable businesses. Um, and so I think it is wonderful how Frank Ocean can utilize what he has built over the course of his career to create really wonderful things that extend beyond the music. Chances are things that extend beyond the music actually compensate him um, disproportionately to the music because he will own more of the copyright associated with that. How fantastic that um, if there are consumers out there that have an appetite for this kind of stuff, that Frank Ocean is satiating those consumers. I, I'm, I'm all for 100%. it. Completely. He said, it's never lost to me that my surname, B-R-E-A-U-X, her thing is Brewer, is a byproduct of slavery in the US. It's never lost to me that I don't mm. have access to my real name. So it's a really cool way for him to sort of get back and, you know, sort of even the scales of justice over time in a way. Say, mm. well, as you say, Max, people people will buy it. There'd, there'd be, say, Brad Pitt wants to feel cool today. He bought a Banksy. He's going to buy a Frank Ocean as well. There's all these. Uh, and, and it's also wonderful because people learn from the top down. And I think um, you might criticize someone at the top coming out with these huge brands saying, do you really need to do it? Can't you just focus on the art that's already so successful? But the wonderful thing about someone at the top doing it is it validates that as a pathway for people um, lower down in the, not the musical food chain, but people who are more emerging um, who don't have these huge audiences where um, these ancillary revenue streams of kind of merch and more bespoke kind of performance material, that's the stuff that can actually build a career. All you need is a small number of super fans who love your work to actually build a career. And if you can kind of follow the model of, a king gizzard and roll out merch every second day, then you can actually build a, build a brand that can lead a successful artistic career. The hip hop economy is fascinating because it's gone from the underground, the streets, you know, the poorest people to now the most lucrative in all of the music industry in the space of 40 years, you know, just even under 40 years, which I think is just who the fuck saw that coming. What I'm very curious about is whether the art suffers because when you're a hungry artist, we've seen it all before, the first two albums are usually the best albums for, for, for artists because after that they really have to either reinvent themselves or trying to get back to that initial feeling of how good they were. There's not that many radio heads in the world. You know, there's, there's a lot of artists have, have done great third, third and fourth albums as well. I, I'm a person who's a bit obsessed with just capturing that moment of when you're just coming up, just coming up, then you break through and then, you know, where, where are you now kind of thing. So I would like to hear some more music out of, out of Frank Ocean for sure. I'm, I'm sort of hanging for, for for his next step. And the more elusive you are as that showbiz, leave them wanting more. We're getting more and more drawn, drawn to Frank Ocean uh, because of this as well. We're going to talk NFTs as well in a second with uh, Mr. Max Shad and serenade all these things. Let us have a little bit of music. Max Shant of Serenade, what an interesting character we have today with this, my friends, because he just looks like such a nice guy, and he's he's a cold-blooded killer. I think we can agree on that. <laughs> Founder and investor in Strange Love Investments, where picked 15 Australian millennials who provide early-stage technology companies with strategic capital. You're also a writer for Fairfax Media, You've written for the, the Quietus as well, one of the most respected online magazines in the world, a management consultant he's done as well. The biggest thing, though, is you're the founder of Serenade, 
which obviously kind of perhaps looked at Cameo in the States, is now providing this bespoke concert for one or concert for us, however many people uh, you would like. Tell us a little bit about Serenade, the idea behind that, and what was the catalyst for all that. And then we'll build up to the NFT stuff, which you're launching next week. It all, it all comes back to I was um, working in a management consultancy, not necessarily loving every project um, that I was on. I offered my time um, halfway through my first year to FBI Radio um, to see if I could help out with a station that I care a lot about. I um, started getting involved um, in the arts that way, started doing a bit of um, writing around kind of musicians that I love, really, just so I could speak to musicians that I love. You bring up the quietest, and I'm happy you do because I, I managed to score one article, no more, no more than one, but I got one, and, and God, it felt good. Um, because it's a, it's a wonderful publication that I have so much admiration for. But it was at the start of last year um, that I was writing a piece for the Sydney Morning Herald on how different musicians had been affected by the early stages of COVID. A conversation I had led with, with an artist um, gave me the idea for Serenade where the artist said, you know, if all, all you need to do is play to the front row and you'll have a career. Um, if you know who your super fans are, um, and you mm. and you serve them. Stop casting the net so wide. Um, your super fans will serve you well. Sarah McLeod, the super Jesus. I dived into really understanding that quote, understanding the nature of fan relationships in the music industry. It helped that I've been a fanboy since day one, and kind of have been kind of a collector of everything under the sun, and yeah, always the person to talk about this or that band, and and kind of go after school to buy something. That that whole spiel that connects many of us. Yeah, I wanted to create a way that artists could deliver what um, fans really care about about them, which are those songs that really resonate, that have such a special role in the life of a fan, and to deliver to artists an opportunity to perform with integrity, delivering their work, not asking for that cameo type service of saying, hey, we just want your brand, we want you to say, g'day, happy birthday. No, we want you as a musical artist to do your art for us in just a bespoke yeah. manner that raises our willingness to pay for it as a fan. That was kind of the defining kind of professional moment of last year for me, which was having that idea in April and then throwing myself into every possible conversation over the next few months within the Australian and broader music community to develop a deeper appreciation for a, the dynamics of a very odd industry, the music industry, um, um, but then also start building out the tech um, to support this idea. Probably my overarching takeaway from like April to now is if you approach um, a subject matter with passion, authenticity and genuine interest, then you'll be guided toward good people and in the right direction um, because you really want to solve a problem. For the first um, six months of running Serenade, um, well, we, we launched in September. Um, first six months of operating, we, we were working with over 200 Australian artists. Um, um, Extraordinary. Um, and, yeah, working with some artists that I have grown up loving. My my 90s, 2000s Australian rock playlist on on Bernard Spotify. Yes. Um, Tim Rogers. Yeah, all, all of yeah. the above, all of the above. I personally love the fact that you've got Tim Rogers on there because that's like... That's a unique market of people who would want Tim Rogers' love, like, song dedication. And he does well. He does very well. Yeah, he would do. He would do. Good on him. G-Flip's on there. Hayley Mary Didiri, 
Steve Kilby, Wax, Slowly Slowly, Ala Hooper, even Teen Jesus and the Gene Teasers, which I'm like, like I've seen them once and I freaking love them, but I'm, I'm surprised that they're on there, you know? What, what you have to understand about, um, about Music World, and, and I apologize for saying what you have to understand, you probably know better than I no. do, um, but, but, as, um, but as an artist, you start winning super fans from the first time you play at a small venue, because unlike being an actor um, or kind of these big celebs, you connect kind of deeply to people who feel like they're the first ones to discover you. Um, so if they're standing, I'm going to throw in some Sydney references here, but if you're standing at an early show at the Lansdowne um, and you're standing in front of that band and you look around and there are seven kind of other kind of dudes sipping on beers around you and you're like, oh, I'm, I'm one of the first people who really connects with this and thinks Aww. this is special, then that really matters. And I know I've seen that. I've kind of followed bands way too closely that I don't even particularly like because (laughs) I was there on day one and I really hope that they had a day two because I was there on day one. Um, uh, And and so the platform was built to serve artists that were at those early days of building super fans, Mm. but then also to help artists as high up as a Bernard Vanning or Tim Rogers who have these established fan bases um, to deliver mm. really special moments to bring that artist back into the lives of those um, fans in those special moments being a birthday, a kind of an anniversary, a wedding. Yeah. I love the fact you just made some Sydney references because uh, maybe this uh, podcast has been a bit too Melbourne-centric in the past. Here we are. We're making it international. We're making it universal. Shout out to Sydney and all our lovely Sydney listeners. We hope you get out of lockdown soon. <laughs> NFTs. Non-fungible tokens. They're not going anywhere. They're, they're here to stay, my friends. Next week, Serenade, I believe, is la- launching um, some NFT on the platform with Alexis, Taylor of Hot Chip, Lady Hawk, Jungle, Kaiser Chiefs. You guys are going very much international. Tell us about that and what's the pitch to them? Yeah, we're, we're, we're launching Wednesday, 18 August. Hope I got that date right with a focus primarily on UK uh, urban music and, and indie, where, as well as, as US hip-hop. At the start of this year, um, I was listening to um, what artists were telling me, and they said, you know, we want to do less for more. Um, as much as um, we love connecting meaningfully with, um, with fans on this one-by-one basis, how wonderful would it be if we could do one thing that could be sold to many, um, and that if those many people were getting something that somehow, if they kind of traded amongst themselves, um, we as artists could benefit from that. Hearing that um, a lot, the NFT concept came up and I was like, oh, whoa, right now it looks a bit scary, but it um, offers a huge opportunity to uh, artists to get creative and deliver really unique experiences to fans. And I thought that there were just there were these really odd tech, um, technical barriers to entry for a real fan to participate, such as the fact that on this call, how many digital wallets do we have in our possession? Uh, do we have a deep appreciation for blockchain, Ethereum, uh, all of these concepts, which um, to um, many music fans aren't in our wheelhouse? So I thought if we could uh, simplify that technology to ensure that um, fans can have um, an easy way to purchase uh, interesting things that they would have loved in any other format from an artist being unreleased music or artwork that they would love to find on a merch desk or documentary footage that really shares a unique perspective on that on that artist. 
if artists can now have a format to deliver that stuff to fans and to do it in a way that's eco-friendly so that's not destroying the environment, which was an early concern for NFTs, uh, then mm -hmm. this is a wonderful solution. Uh, so we really invested in in kind of appreciating what uh, a fan-centric NFT platform would look like. Uh, we uh, started working with uh, a leading international player in building that technology to ensure that artists um, could create NFTs without paying any gas fees, which is a cost um, per unit of NFT that you create, and that they do that 44,000 times more environmentally efficiently uh, than a normal wow. NFT. Um, and that when fans buy these things, when they sign up to our site, we create a digital wallet for them. They spend with their credit or debit card. And then at the end of the day, it's all about the music because you remove all that confusion about um, the tech. It's just about the artist-fan relationship and that's all that matters. That's awesome. Explain, so simplify it even further for us, Max. What's an example of an NFT that a fan has bought through Serenade and can buy next week? Yeah, so... 20 years ago, the Kaiser Chiefs were a different band. They were a band called Parva. Uh, they produced a awesome uh, full-length album uh, under one of the beggars label uh, labels. Now, I know it's awesome because I've listened to it, but you won't know that it's awesome because it actually never got released. Uh, it didn't get released because that label went down and took that record with it. Now, because of Serenade and the NFT concept, uh, Kaiser Chiefs now get to release a limited number um, of those albums to fans around the world. Uh, and because um, this is a direct-to-fan model, they really benefit uh, almost entirely from the production and sale of that work. And fans can feel like they, they're sitting on a real treasure. Like I know I've been collecting records since I was 12 years old and whenever I found something that was remotely odd or different, um, it would make my day. It would be that thing that I look at time and time again. And now here's an opportunity to for artists to create things that aren't different because they've got a little scratch on the label, as with a record. Um, it's because it is a unique insight into their catalogue. Are you at all concerned if people are copying uh, you know, burning and sort of distributing amongst all the fan base, that kind of thing? Or is, yeah, how, how do you sort of combat that? Or are you happy to let that go because it's fans sharing music? Yeah, so the value of an NFT isn't so much the the image that you see. Um, it's the unique uh, code that's locked into the blockchain that says this is the real one. Uh, so in the same yeah. so in the same way that when I buy a record, I know I've got the real one, but I can rip that off and send a mate some MP3 files. Um, I've still got the the good which um, was produced by that record company and landed in my hands. Only the wonderful thing about an NFT is it's actually produced by the artist, and then it does land in my hands. And there's this direct line where you can say, okay, so it went from RD kind of. A UK rapper that's joining uh, towards the end of next week for our launch. Uh, it's it's coming out of his hands and it is landing in mine. And yes, it might have gone through Jack, John, and Jill, uh, but it says that it's got a record of all those steps. And it by kind of recording all of those steps, it brings us all into this common narrative together. And I don't know about you, but the wonderful thing about you know, jumping into a mosh pit and feeling like you're close to just people who all share this love of an artist is that there is this attachment. You are sharing that moment with an artist. Um, you know when you yeah. get a signature from an artist after a show that on that day 
there was this crazy aligning experience where the artist was there, he borrowed or she borrowed your pen and scribbled on your book. Um, and that's the experience of purchasing an NFT where kind of there is a provision of a good direct from an artist to a fan um, and all that other noise is removed. It's like it getting a- the set list, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Is it like the new autograph? Is it like the is it like the autograph set list? Well, it, it is. It's a digital autograph that takes off the burden from an artist of being approached in a cafe saying, "Yo, can I have your autograph?" <laughs> um, it's a time where an artist can say, "You know, I'm going to produce this one thing as a hundred editions, um, and each one of those hundred editions is linked to my name, my brand. It has my digital autograph, and you, as a fan, can walk away with it knowing that." On this moment, it was given from me to yeah. you. Mm-hmm. Are you at all concerned that because of, say, say these uh, NFTs get quite popular, some artists will be less likely to keep going to serenade? It's just so they don't have to do a hundred personalized songs. Is that a is that a sort of something you guys have discussed? I'm sure you've discussed it. So the uh, the new NFT uh, marketplace that we're building, uh, the reason we're so excited by it is because it offers. Um, artists the ability to generate far healthier more recurring revenue streams than the initial platform we rolled out um, so over time we want to bring the first platform into the new mold um, but we're really investing in this new platform because the scope of opportunities is so broad um, on the for the first for the first platform we really relied on an artist spent taking the time to record a performance in their backyard, in their bedroom, and they did these wonderful intimate performances and and continue to. Uh, However, with uh, the new NFT uh, music marketplace, the creative possibilities are fairly limitless. We've got artists who are producing uh, music, as I said before, with the Kaiser Chiefs. We've got um, an artist like Ride, uh, who came out with their first EP in 1990 and have just discovered two cassettes filled with um, tracks from 1989. Um, and Ooh, they get a, wow. and I'm, I'm a big ride fan, so that's a, a personal high point of mine. Uh, and then we've got artwork from kind of a kind of hip hop artist as prolific as the game. Um, and, and, yeah. and it's really all of these diverse um, experiences. Um, that can be handed over to fans and then fans exist on the platform and continue to trade and chat with each other such that there's just a lot more value there for artists um, and fans. So um, a long way to answer to your to your point, um, Mike, that we're completely comfortable um, with the dynamic between the old and the new um, because the goal here is just creating new revenue, new revenue streams for artists. Well, I feel like there, there obviously was a lot of confusion and probably is still a lot of confusion around NFTs and where they sit within like the broad, the, the wider sort of crypto conversation. And initially when I was starting to see artists coming out, you know, we've kind of heard about Kings of Leon who got on board with it early, like released, I think they released a certain amount of their record through, through this model as well. I think as more... NFT marketplaces start to become normalized and I feel like what you're doing is really interesting because you are sort of breaking down the barriers to make it more understandable for people who might only really have a passing knowledge or passing interest in uh, cryptocurrency and NFTs generally speaking. I feel like this is going a long way in eventually normalizing it as as a currency or, you know, as a form of uh, trade, which I think for the artistic community, 
could turn out to be quite lucrative within the next decade even, you know, especially when if artists can't be touring right now, if they can't be rolling their records and their merchandise out in a way that we've almost been clean. That's one thing about the pandemic that I've learned, like the way that we've been clinging to these older um, infrastructures for so long. So it's like when they're not there anymore, then of course we're going to freak out. But I feel like the way that this NFT market has developed I feel like there's a good chance that that'll become a new standard in, in a lot of ways, which I think will be really fascinating to watch as the next handful of years rolls out, you know? Yeah, what what we find interesting is um, over the past few months, the only artists who uh, have been able to successfully roll out uh, NFTs are those that have a crypto fan base um, because it's yeah, that group yeah. of people who understand how to use the technology. But there are so many uh, artists out there who have wonderful audiences of, of, of real fans that don't have um, that tech literacy um, and don't need to be expected to. They just need to be expected yeah. to love their favorite artist. Um, and so everything that we have done has been um, done to ensure that if you have 100,000 Instagram followers and you produce uh, NFTs through Serenade and you communicate um, to those 100,000 Instagram followers that you are on Serenade producing these NFTs, that there will be no barrier to those fans actually engaging with the tech and, and buying one of these goods because it feels like you're just checking out with something from a direct-to-consumer artist shop front. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Is it something where um, a super fan can say, hey, everyone, come over to my house next week, it's going to be COVID safe, uh, and I'm going to play, I'm going to play this new RD record you know, on, on my system and, you know, 40 of forty of my friends or the, all the super fans can come over and enjoy it. And that's, that's the, they're the only 40 people out of seven plus billion people in the world that get to have that experience. So the way that I like to describe it is when I was doing research for this business last year, I spoke to, um, I, I exist on many fan communities on Facebook and I, I picked one guy um, that seemed to be on every single one of them and I wanted to just interview him and ask about his experience as being a fan over the years. Um, he's probably in his late 50s or 60s and he says he's been in every fan club since Elvis. Uh, and he told me this wonderful <laughs> story about how um, in the 60s, uh, he would um, go uh, kind of once a month on a Saturday to the town hall in Adelaide um, where um, a bunch of people um, would go to show off their Elvis memorabilia and would all display their, wow. their slides on a projector and tell stories. None of them had even been to the States, certainly not seen Elvis who never came to Australia. Uh, and the experience that we're trying to capture um, in Serenade's like, gallery view is being able to bring in all of these great stories uh, and objects and be able to display them and say, this is what I care about. Um, so it's not so much the um, RD producing uh, a limited number of these things and, and therefore only you get to experience them with your 40 fr um, friends uh, because these goods are accessible. They're not cut off to other people, but only those 40, the only the people who purchase that good um, are able to actually say they own it and actually bring it into their yeah. gallery. But if I look at your gallery, I can see that. Um, and so it really gives fans an opportunity to show off their identity by bringing these disparate collectibles from all around the place into their one home. So it's, yeah, it's absolutely about super fans who, who want to get close to the artist and also want to financially support that artist. And 
yeah, and just have that feeling every night when they when they go to bed that I own all these NFTs from you know from ride or scouting for girls or state champs, and that's my thing. I think it probably gives people more so uh, cool. a, a better sense of their own identity as well. I, st- I still find it fascinating that as you, the point point you just made that other people can or can see it as well. So if I haven't got enough money to see Alexis Taylor of, of Hot Chips, you know, limited artwork that he did for his uh, son, but I, I can still see it, but I, I don't own it. And the allure of that, yeah. It's like, do you own a vinyl? Like, you, that song mm. can be found on Spotify, it can be found on YouTube, and there's definitely something around Facebook of a show where someone recorded something. But it's about having... Sure, sure. A, a, there's value in owning something because you feel like it's this wonderful thing that you have and other people don't have and it defines your identity. But for that thing to be valuable, oftentimes it's worthwhile if lots of people know how fantastic it is because there's an audience there but only a few people that own it. Very true. Bottom line is artists need to make more money and right now there are so many depressed musicians all over the world thinking, do I want to keep doing this? So let's hope they... How can I keep doing it? plow forward <laughs> and you know in, engage with this world and, and serenade as well uh plug it one more time if you can max when this is launching uh well wonderful thank you so serenade.co uh a, a wonderful place for you to connect with with your favorite artists and and, and purchase their digital collectibles excellent platform thanks for joining us today max Shay, yes. you're gonna stick around for the bonus episode Bonus heavy. Thumbs are up. That's a thumbs Bonus up. episode. <laughs> so smarky. Hit different. Thanks for subscribe or cry. It says last week we said subscribe or dice. This week it's subscribe or week. We're about to get into the bonus episode that will be out every Thursday or right now if you're a lucky subscriber. More info in the show notes or search hit different website. Love you lots. See you next time. Mm-hmm.